0: Welcome to The Word Encounter, episode 212, where we're going to continue on in the book of John in chapter 10. Let's just dive right into this because Jesus is dropping some knowledge on us and and we need to meditate on these next set of scriptures. Just meditate. Just let them marinate in your spirit because it's so powerful what he's saying here. We really need to get a glimpse of uh, uh, what he's trying to get across to us. And it says, The Good Shepherd, in uh, verse 1, Truly I tell you, Anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. What does that mean? Well, we'll get into it. It says the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. In verse 7, Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate uh, for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers." And so Jesus, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. And so Jesus is, is telling him that, look, the people who came in my name, the people who came masquerading as the Messiah, and one of, those are thieves and robbers. They're thieves and robbers. And it's not only them who are thieves and robbers. There are others that are thieves and robbers. It says, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Verse 9, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. So Jesus is telling them, look, a a thief's job is to steal and rob. See, he comes to steal and rob and destroy. He He destroys people's lives and he doesn't care because that's what he does. But I have come so that I may give life in abundance for those who hearken unto my voice. In verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's a qualification of a good shepherd, one who is willing to lay down their life for the sheep. Verse 12. The hired hand, uh, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. See, when you hire somebody, when, when it's not their destiny, when it's not their fate, when it's not you know, their core, then when trouble comes, they evacuate. When trouble comes, they flee. They don't want to have any part of it. They don't care about what happens to the ones that they're supposed to be watching over. See, because it was only a job in the first place. It wasn't a definition of who I am. It wasn't me. See, the wolf then scratches and scatters them. And so when the wolf comes, the shepherd runs away. The hired shepherd runs away. See, this happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, Jesus says this, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. And so Jesus, he's talking to the Jews. He said, I lay down my life for you. But you're not the only ones I lay down my life for. I have other sheep pens. I have other sheep. See, I came as a savior of the world, not just of the Jews. I come through the Jews, but my salvation is an umbrella over all of humanity. But I have come. Uh, but I have other sheep that are not from this she- uh, sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. All this division amongst people groups that we see in the world. Jesus is saying, I come first through the Jews or first to the Jews and then extend out to the world for the purpose of bringing them all into the same flock with one shepherd, me. In verse 17, this is why the father loves me because I lay down my life so that they may take it up again. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. In other words, God loves self-sacrifice for the sake of others. God loves when he sees an individual sacrifice for the sake of somebody else's well-being that's sacrificial love that's sacrificial leadership that's what he's looking for see he's looking for the antithesis of selfishness he's looking for people that are willing to lay down their lives their own selfish desires for the sake of the well-being of their spouse their family their community uh, body of believers. That's what he's looking for because that is his kingdom. And again, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things that you need to live life on this earth, I'll take care of it. That's what he's looking for. This is why the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may p- take it up again. Verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. And so uh, the Father God has given you know, Jesus all of this authority, but Jesus still has to be obedient. See, he still has to face, he, he, he was uh, fully God and fully man. And so he faced everything that man faced as far as uh, emotions. As far as uh, physical well-being, fear or whatnot, he experienced these things because we we see in the other gospels, you know, he was lamenting over going to the cross. He knew it was going to be a painful experience. And so he's not asking man to do anything that he himself has not experienced. And that's a critical component of Jesus's mission was to show man that, yes, you can do these things because I am fully you. I feel like you feel. Yet, I still do what I'm commanded to do. Jesus at the festival of dedication, the Jews surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, Jesus has been telling them and telling them, telling them. Uh, sometimes he speaks in riddles, but I think he has told them by this time plainly who he is. In verse 25, he says, I tell you, and you don't believe me. The worst that I do in my father's name testify about me, but you don't believe me because you are not of my sheep. He had just talked about him being the shepherd of the sheep in the pen and that the sheep know his voice. See, and that he knows his sheep by name. But he's saying here that since you're not a part of my flock, then you're not hearing and you're not believing what I've been saying all along. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life uh, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So, You know, uh, my father has given me these sheep. They're a part of my flock. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Not only that, you know, they're also a part of my father's flock and no one will snatch them out of his hand. (laughs) No one will snatch any of my sheep out of my flock. No one. Renewed efforts to stone Jesus. Uh, verse 31, again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? And they replied, we aren't stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy because, uh, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, from their perspective, If you have this crazy dude, Jesus, coming over or coming into your scene doing these wild things, and you either won't or can't see who he is, this response kind of makes sense. You're you're, you're stating that you are equal to God, and and that is blasphemous. We we can't have that. And so in verse 34, um, Jesus answered, Isn't it written in your law, I said you are God's? You see, so now Jesus is is challenging them on their their knowledge. And so in Psalms 82, verse 6, it says, I said, you are gods, you are all sons of the Most High. And so this is in Psalms, this is in their word. And so Jesus answered them, isn't it written in your law? I said, you are gods. In verse 35, if he called those to whom the word of God came gods and scripture cannot be broken. In other words, if this is in scripture and scripture cannot be wrong. Then he says in verse 36, uh, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the father sent, apart, uh, set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the son of God? It says here that in your word, you know, in your in your law, it says that uh, you are God's yet. I'm coming because I was set apart for, from God and I said I am the son of God and you want to stone me. But it says in your scripture and says it says right in there that you are God's. So I'm saying that I'm the son of God, yet you want to stone me. What, what's up? In verse 37, if I am not doing the works of my father, don't believe me. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. So Jesus said, look, if I'm not doing these works, then don't believe me. He says, don't, don't believe anything I say. But if you don't want to believe me, at least believe the works that I have done. You don't have to believe me, but at least believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And so if they were to believe in the works, then they would have to conclude that, okay, this dude may be who he says he is. And then we would have to change our response. So they don't want to believe, and we're gonna discover why they don't want to believe it, what's at the crux, what's at at the root of their lack of belief. And I'm not even gonna say that they had a lack of belief, because I'm not convinced they had a lack of belief. I think they did believe, but they didn't like the implications of that belief. And so they were just ignoring that. They were trying to convince themselves that what they were seeing wasn't true. Let's go on to chapter 11. Lazarus dies at Bethany. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death. But, Is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Okay, let's stop for a second here. And so we see that Lazarus is sick and apparently terminally ill because he's about to die. And Jesus is saying that this illness, this sickness that he's experiencing has a purpose. The purpose is so that I may be glorified through it. Hmm. This can be a very provocative thought because most of the time when we hear about an illness or we are set ourselves get ill, uh, it can be viewed. And I would say that in many cases it is viewed as a curse by a lot, if not most people. But could it be that some of these sicknesses and some of these illnesses that we experience are in fact to be used for the glory of God? That's essentially what Jesus is saying right here. Yes, I realize Lazarus is terminally ill and he's sick. But it's for the reason that I might be glorified through it. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, get this. So when he heard that he was sick, what did Jesus do? He stayed two more days in the place where he was. That's weird. So he hears that Lazarus is sick, deathly so, terminally so, and instead of getting up and immediately going to his side, he stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't indicate to most of us that there was an urgency on Jesus's part. Now remember, God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So what may seem to be a lack of concern or a lack of understanding of the urgency of the situation was being used for a different purpose. And when we are in the midst of emotional pain and struggle, we can only see what we can see right in front of our face. We, we can't see the big picture uh, we might not even know what the big picture is. All we want is this immediate situation to be alleviated. We want it gone. See, and, and, and a lot of times we want things done in the time that we want them done in immediately. Hmm. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Remember Daniel, answer to his prayer was delayed 21 days. He had prayed to the Lord. Angel was coming. I believe it was Gabriel. I think it was Gabriel. Angel was coming. Angel got caught up in a tussle with the enemy, delayed for 21 days. When Daniel prayed, his answer to prayer was released immediately, but it took three weeks before he got it. Here we see Jesus is waiting a couple days before he goes. Verse 7, Then after that he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again? So they, they got out of the death sentence before and he, he's going right back in. And the, the, uh, the disciples are like, yo, what's up, G? What, what are we doing here? What are, we, what are we thinking about? Verse 9, aren't, the 12 hours, aren't there 12 hours in the day, Jesus answered, If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. Now that seems like a weird response. So, <laughs> so they're questioning the wisdom of going back to Judea because the Jews had tried to stone Jesus, and this was Jesus' response to that concern. What is he saying here? He says, if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. In other words, I, the light am with you, you know? And so we can make, Hey, while I'm here, we don't need to be afraid because we're not going to stumble in the presence of the light. But if anyone walks during the night, if anyone walks without the light, if anyone walks trying to do things without me, then yeah, maybe they do need to be concerned because it says he does stumble because the light is not in him. See? And so when we try to do things in our own strength without Jesus, see, then we are susceptible to stumbling and failing and we do have cause to be afraid. But if we're with Jesus, if the light is in us and with us, then we don't need to be afraid. This is what Jesus is saying in this you know, in this, in this uh, parable, in this riddle, if you will. Verse 11, he said this and then told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Verse 12, then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're thinking everything's cool. So Jesus is like, oh. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Let's go to him. So in verse 15, when he says, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, what he's telling them essentially is that if I was there, he wouldn't have died. Then you wouldn't have had the opportunity to believe because you wouldn't have been able to witness me raise him from the dead. And so we start to get a glimpse of what the purpose of Lazarus' death was. See, so it would be a witness to others that would see that he was risen from the dead. The resurrection and the life in verse 17. Then when Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus um, had already been in the tomb for four days. So he had been dead for four days. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. When Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. And so Jesus is essentially telling her that day is now. You know, she's thinking off in the future at the resurrection, you know, in the last day of the, of the earth. And, and Jesus is saying, look, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. <clears throat> now, here is the question that Jesus asked Martha that he's asking everybody. John chapter 11, verse 26. This is the question. Jesus says, Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Again, he's asking Martha here, But he's asking that very same question to each one of us. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That is the crux of the matter. That is the crux of this whole gospel. That's the crux of everything uh, that the Bible is pointing towards. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you? And see, it's a question that you can't fool God with. You can fool man, but you can't fool God. In your inner core, do you believe this? Do you really believe this? Do you believe this like you believe that if you uh, jump in the pool, you're going to get wet? Do you really believe this? Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? John eleven twenty six. 26. That's the question. That is the question. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the son of God who comes into the world. Jesus, Jesus shares the sorrow of death. Verse 31. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up and quickly went out. They followed her, uh, supposing she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Then Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying. He was deeply moved in the spirit, in his spirit and troubled. When Jesus saw that she was crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled. I've often wondered about this. He he, he saw her crying and he was deeply moved. Let me keep going. Verse 34. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Verse 35. Two word verse. Jesus wept. This is what I've often thought about. Why? If Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the death, which he did, from death, which he did, he did know that. He knew that Lazarus was going to uh, live. Why did he weep? Did he weep because he sensed that there was a tremendous amount of unbelief, that they didn't have enough faith to know that he would live again because Jesus said so? Is that why he uh, wept? Did he weep out of compassion and mercy because he saw the pain that the people were in? Is that why he wept? Both. I don't know. I don't know. I've just often wondered why he wept. Verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Uh, But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? And so the Jews, again, were debating amongst themselves. they saw jesus crying and they said well look he's a man of compassion and mercy and then others say yeah but if he would have been here he could have kept him from dying so what's up with that you know so they're again they're they're not just not sure of who or what jesus is the seventh sign raising lazarus from the dead when jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb it was a, it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Uh, then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you are always near me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. And so Jesus was 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 saying things in prayer, prayer aloud publicly for the benefit of the people that were there. He didn't need to do this. He was just saying this so that they would hear him and would understand. In verse forty-three, after he said this, he shouted. Uh, after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come out!" Three words. <laughs> That's it. We, a lot of times people get involved in all this flowery, you know, poetic prayer just going on and on. Jesus, in, in many cases in his prayers, was a man of simple words: "Lazarus, come out." The dead man uh, came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, uh, Jesus said to them, "Unwrap him and let him go." The plot to kill Jesus. In verse 43, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. So many who witnessed this miracle, because of that miracle, they believed in him. However, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So listen to the Pharisees' reaction to this man being brought back to the, from the dead. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin. They con- uh, convene the uh, religious council <laughs> and were saying, what are we going to do since this man is doing many signs? They're not rejoicing that, 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 that they're witnessing uh, miracles of God. They're saying, what are we going to do to this man? He's, he's doing these signs. We need to do something about him. Verse 48. Now this was their concern. If we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That was their concern, that they would lose their power if they let this man, Jesus, keep going on doing these things. That was their motivation for wanting to get rid of him. Verse 49, one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You're not considering Uh, What you're not considering, um, let me see, you're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. What Caiaphas didn't realize is that he was prophesying here. He didn't know it, but he was prophesying. In verse 51, he did not say this on his own. Uh, This is uh, scripture explaining what Caiaphas had just said. He didn't say this on his own. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and, di- and not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. They didn't realize that they were executing God's plan. Hmm. A lot of things people do in ignorance, they don't realize that they're doing it to execute God's plan. Even when many of the believers try to stop them from doing it, they're actually working against God's plan because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It's as simple as that. So he does things that we do not foresee and do not understand. That's why I'm not very quick to respond to certain things that occur uh, in this world because I don't know whose plan it is. And I don't want to be found trying to work against the plans of the Lord. With that, we are done for today. We're going to pick it up in uh, John uh, chapter 12 tomorrow. I think that's episode 213, I believe. And remember, Jesus is always extending his hand. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He said it, we've gone over it many times here in Scripture, that you will never die. You might see physical death, but eternal death won't happen to you. Everybody, take care, stay safe, be blessed, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he not come between tomorrow, now and tomorrow, we'll see you tomorrow on episode 213, I believe it is. Bye bye.